This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, you catch a bit of a break tonight, less of me and more of the programs. So let's get started by joining Jack Webb in his role as Sergeant Joe Friday and the Dragnet episode entitled 16 Jewel Thieves. Here is another in NBC's great parade of new shows. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. NBC brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to burglary detail. A sudden wave of jewel thefts is sweeping the city. In 16 days, 16 burglaries have been committed, one each night. They bear the same trademark. Thousands of dollars of jewels are missing. The thief is a master at his trade. Your job, get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime, investigated and solved by the men who unrelentingly stand watch on the security of your home, your family, and your life. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, June 17th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way into work that morning, and it was 7.53 a.m. when I got to room 45. Burglary detail. Hi, Joe. How are you, Walker? Gonna be a scorcher out today. Yeah, just like yesterday. Ben in yet? I think he's over in communications picking up the mail. Oh, thanks. You guys been busy? Yeah, kind of. Jewel thefts. Anything big? No, no big hauls, but he's consistent. Sixteen nights in a row. Hmm. Same guy? Think so. Same M.O. Yeah, everybody's got troubles. Gotta check some records. See you later, Joe. Okay, Willie. Burglary, Friday. Yeah. Okay, Mike, soon as Ben gets back. He's picking up the mail. Right, bye. Hi, Joe. Hi, Ben. Hannon just called. Chief wants to see us. Take a look at these first. What do you got, overnight reports? Yeah, I have these two. Mm. Yeah. Two of them. Three diamond rings, one sapphire, one necklace, jade. Big haul. Look at the other one. Ladies' watch, diamond band, emerald bracelet, tourmaline brooch. What's tourmaline, Ben? I don't know. It must be valuable. It's gone. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see. Owner left house about 9 p.m., returned about 1.30 a.m., found property gone, scratches on the door. Probably using the cellophane method. Hasn't missed yet. Two in one night. No one's picking up his pace. Must have a bag full of loot somewhere, whoever it is. You get the description sheet from pawn shop detail? Yeah, I got them right here. You take half of them. Let's see what luck we got this morning. Yeah, uh-huh. mm. Nothing so far. Mm. Me neither. I'll get it, Joe. Burglar Romero. Hi, Ben. Chief still wants to talk to you, boys. He's got an appointment at 8.30. Wants to see you before he leaves. Okay, Mike. Just checking some buy sheets. Be right in. Better make it fast. He's in a bad mood this morning. Okay, Mike. Thank you. Back strand again? Yeah, he's in a bad mood. Come on. Wonder what's bothering him. Something's bad. He doesn't blow very often. Chief of Detectives Office, Hannon. Go ahead in, boys. He's waiting. Thank you, Mike. All right, ma'am. I'll connect you. Friday, Romero, sit down. Wait till I get the phone. Backstrand. Oh, yes, Mrs. Winthrop. Yes, ma'am. We're doing all we can. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I'll do that. Yes, ma'am. Goodbye. Got trouble, Ed? Taxpayer, Mrs. Winthrop. You two ought to remember the name. We do, Skip. Ten days ago, somebody lifted $2,000 worth of diamonds from her bedroom while she was at the symphony. Last night, she was hit again. Diamond watch, an emerald bracelet, and some kind of a brooch. Tourmaline. I don't care what kind it was, it's gone. What's the pitch? We just read a report a couple of minutes ago, Skipper. Could be a time with those other 16 jobs. 16 jobs in 16 days. You haven't got a lead on the thief yet? Nothing shows up. No prints, nothing. Uh, what about the pawn shops? Nobody's tried to soak any hot stuff as far as we know. We double-checked the detail. We got every hawk shop in town on the alert. Whoever it is, they've got to try to pawn the stuff sometime. Unless they're going to give diamond rings for Christmas presents. They haven't tried the pawn shops yet, Skipper. We sure then. Look, 16 burglaries in 16 days. Jewels and watches. Good ones. Well, it's got to stop. It's got to stop soon, you understand? We'll stay right on top of it, Ed. We're doing all we can. For two weeks, I've had half a dozen women calling me every day. Society women. Some of them figure they should get extra treatment. They're only DR numbers to us, Skipper. They all get the same attention. I'll try and explain that to some of them. They think you're in on the racket. Maybe you boys would like to take these calls some morning. No, thanks, Ed. All right, then, let's get some action. Keep the pawn shop operators on their toes and get after every known fence in town. That's all. I've got an appointment. All right, Ed. Check you later. Holding a call for you, Ben. Oh, thank you. Hello? Oh, hi, Max. What? What? Well, hold it. Be right down. First break, Joe. What do you got? Necklace and a watch. Both of them on the stolen property list. Where? Henry's pawn shop. Fifth and Main. Six minutes later at 8.25 a.m., Ben and I drove up in front of Henry's Square Deal Pawn Shop. Quick cash, no red tape, watches bought and sold. The proprietor was Max Murphy, an old friend of Ben's. Well, pal, of all days, it had to happen yesterday. Took the day off and went fishing up at Big Bear. I left my nephew in charge, Harry. A real knothead, that kid. How do you mean, Max? Joe, if I told him once, I told him a hundred and once. Whatever you do, whatever they come in with the hawk, check it with the list. Check it with the stolen property list. What does he do? He forgot. He forgot. Oh, a real knothead, that boy. How old is he, Max? Thirty-two. A real knothead. I checked the slips from yesterday. Then I checked the stolen property list. There it is. Hot stuff. When does the stuff come in, Max, do you know? About four o'clock yesterday afternoon. Can we look at it? Oh, sure. Yeah, back here behind the car. There it is. Did you check out the serial numbers on the watch yet, Mac? When I found out, yes. They matched to a T. All right, let's see. Yeah. Description on this necklace matches, too. 
Let's have a look at your Bible, huh, Max? Yes, sir, Joe. Here you are. There's a deal right there. Here? Yeah, that's him. That's how he gave his name. Mm. Walter Tracy, 132 and a half Blackstone Court, Los Angeles. Let me check the book for the description, man. Oh, sure. Yeah, here. Mm-hmm. Okay, Max, thanks. We'll be checking with you later. Sure, Joe. Anytime. Sorry. All right, Max. See you later. Yeah, you fellas take it easy. Right. I want to check and see if we're clear, Joe. Yeah, I will. 80K to control one. 80K to control one. Are we clear? Control one to 80K. Stand by. Good lead, Joe. Got a description in here. Yeah. It's too bad Max's nephew had to slip up. Control one to 80K. Call your office immediately. Call your office immediately. KMH, Wonder what that's about. No, no, I'll call in. You got some change? I'll use Max's phone. Use your phone a minute, Max. Oh, you bet. Sure, help yourself. Thank you. City Hall. Two five two four. Two five two four. Burglary, Levine. This is Ben, George. You got something? Hot one. Universal loan shop, 6th and Barton Place. Guy just took in a couple of rings. He checked too late. What you mean? He checked the form after the guy left. It was signed Walter Tracy. There they are, Sergeant. Both rings. Fine quality diamonds. Don't you usually check your stolen goods list before you take in stuff like this? Usually, yes. Last night, no. I don't know what I was thinking about. We have a look at your buy book. Right here. There it is. Walter Tracy. 699 Olive Street. 145 pounds, 5 foot 9, dark hair, build, thin. You'll have to slap a hold on these rings. I know, I should have told. Can you think of anything else that might help us to identify the man? No. Had a light suit on. Nice cut. Very well dressed. Thank you, that's all for now. Here's a card. If the guy happens to drop back, give us a call, will you? Sure will, Sergeant. Say. Yeah? I've got some nice watch bands. Yours look old. Can I interest you? No, thanks. Some other time. Come on, Ben. That afternoon and the following morning, despite our alert and our warnings, two more pawn shops called in with reports of stolen watches taken in. We checked them out. The serial numbers on the watches matched those on the stolen property list. On the pawn shop account books, the loan was listed under the name Walter Tracy. The addresses were given as number 12 St. Vincent Place and 700 East Flower. The descriptions of the man were the same. Slight build, well-dressed, about 145 pounds, 5 feet 9 inches tall, dark wavy hair. We had the name and description distributed to every pawn shop in Los Angeles and surrounding communities. Through our informants, we checked up on every known fence in the city. For the next two nights, we received no reports of stolen jewels. That made up for the double burglary the night before. On June 19th, the box score read 18 successive nights, 18 successive jewel burglaries. At 3.25 in the afternoon, Ben and I sat down to check over the late incoming reports. Got anything, Joe? No, not yet, no. Mm, nothing here. Maybe the guys left town. Nope. No such luck. Take a look. That's it, number 19. He may set a record. Well, he's making monkeys out of us, isn't he? Look, 
Man's watch, lady's watch, Chinese amber necklace, diamond shirt studs, and a bracelet with two large rubies. He's getting ambitious. How's the value listing? Let's see. $1,800. One haul. I'll get it. Burglary Friday. Yeah. What? Yeah. You write down. Stall him. Let's go, Ben. Where? Kaplan's down on East 2nd. Walter Tracy's in there now, trying to hock a gold watch. Ben, cover the door. I'll go to look like I'm shopping around. Right, but watch your step. We don't know this guy. Yeah, stay close to the door, huh? That's the best we can do on the watch. Look, Mac, this is gold. 21 jewels. Well, that's the best I can do. Ah, drop dead. What's the best I can do? Don't get sore. Yeah, sure. See you later. That's him, Sergeant. Wallet Tracy. I stole him as long as I could. All right, I'll check back with you later. Did you spot the guy that just came out? Yeah, I went up the street. Let's follow him. Hustle it. You spot him, Ben? Straight ahead, about 15 yards. He's crossing the street. Yeah, let's get up a little closer. We'll lose him, sure, if the light changes. Come on, run for it. What's the traffic like? Yeah. That was close. You might have spotted us. It's going faster. Come on, Joe, run. Yeah. Don't lose him. This crowd's not helping. Hey, hey, wait a minute. I bet you're a cop. You're chasing somebody. All right, let go of my arm, mister. Let go. Well, you don't have to get tough. Lousy cops think they own the street. I'm going to write the mayor's office. Come on, Joe. He's running for us. Yeah, I see him. Watch the signal up ahead. Hurry, Joe. Almost up to him. Into the parking lot. Hey, you! Stop! Look out, Joe. A gun! Yeah, I see him. Get away. Get away, smart guy. It's a nice job. Yeah. He's too fast for an honest man. Let's take him in. When we got back to headquarters, Walter Tracy was under technical arrest. We took him directly to the interrogation room. We searched him thoroughly. We had him take everything out of his pockets and put it on the table. Then we had him take all the money he had in his wallet, count it out, and hold it in his hand. What is all this routine? That's all the money you have on you? $47.17, right? Yeah. Okay, keep it in your hand. Ben, shake him down. All right, Tracy, take off your coat, shirt, tie, and shoes and socks. What kind of a pitch is this? I'm no hood. Take them off. Two-bit cops. You're not pinning anything on me. I don't care what you do. Sleeves, pockets, lining. Nothing in the coat, Joe. Get his shirt. Take it light with the threads, huh? Costs money. How about the trousers, Ben? Let's see. Cuffs, pockets. No. Let me get the belt. Zipper on the inside of the belt? No, it's clean. Shoes are okay. All right, Tracy, let's see the soles of your feet. I hope you don't mind, uh... They're dirty. Why don't you take a shower? Let's see. All right, Joe, nothing. Put your toes back on. Yeah, thanks. All right, you. What's your name? Huh? I said, what's your name? You telling jokes? Walter Tracy. You know that. Your real name. How old are you, Tracy? 27. Where do you live? No place. Just got in town a couple of days ago. Where are you from? Salina, Kansas. Where you been sleeping the last two nights? The park. Pershing Square. Clothes don't show it. Pretty natty. I had him pressed. Where? Down by the square. I don't remember. You ever been arrested before? No. Where'd you get this gun, Tracy, the one you pulled on us? I didn't know who you were. Could have been a couple of hoods. <laughs> you kind of look like it. Where'd you get the gun? I won it in a crap game coming out on the train. Where'd you get the watch? 
graduation present. You want to run a make on him, Joe? The gun and the watch? Yeah, I'll call him. Go on, check. You can't prove a thing. Pawn shop records, Gilmore. Joe, this is Friday. Can you give me a make on a watch? Sure, Joe, go ahead. Time master, yellow gold, man's wristwatch. Okay. Case number 716F23. Right. Movement number B351708. Got it. Okay. Now give me a make on this gun, huh? 32 S&W automatic. Serial number 579461. Okay. Call me back. Right. What's your station number? 2572. I'll ring you, Joe. Thanks. Having fun? What'd you do with all those jewels you stole? When do I get out of here? I don't think you're going to get out. You got nothing on me. How tall are you, Tracy? Get your tape measure. Five, nine. How much you weigh? 140. I'm 27. My name's Walter Tracy. I come from Salina. I've been in town two days, and I don't know what you guys are talking about. You sound smart. You don't act it. And you're flying Brian Copper. What'd you do with those jewels you stole? I don't know what you're talking about. What color are your eyes? <laughs> I don't know. I'm colorblind. What color would you say your hair is? You colorblind, too? You ever been arrested before? Straighten out. He asked me that. I'm asking you. No. You ever done any big time? No. All right, I don't care if you level with us or not. We're going to make you on those prowl jobs, all 19 of them. Sure, sure. You guys are smart. You got in Los Angeles two days ago, is that right? Yeah. You don't know anything about any jewel thefts? That's what I said. Then how come your name and your handwriting's on the account books in four pawn shops in Los Angeles? Not mine. You can't prove it. We can, Tracy. Come clean. What'd you do with the stuff you stole from 1250 Moraga Drive, June 5th? I didn't steal any stuff. What'd you do with the rings and watches you took from 1400 Placerville Road, June 9th? I wasn't in town. What'd you do with the diamond dress pins you stole June 13th, 123 South Van S? Did I do that? You're not only kinky, you're a bad liar. You prove it. Border gets you a saw buck, your prints bounce, Tracy. Our handwriting man's gone to work on those signatures of yours. You haven't got a chance. Now, come on. Where'd you hide the stuff? You can't prove a thing. Where'd you say you've been sleeping the last two nights? In the park, Pershing Square. You want a map? Clothes sure look nice. I said I had them pressed. But you can't remember where. No, I can't remember where. That a crime? Friday something. Joe, this is Gilmore. Here's the stuff you asked for. Let's have it, Joe. No make on the watch, no make on the gun. Okay, Gil, thanks a lot. Yeah. You're in up to your neck. You said that, didn't you? You're gonna talk, Tracy. Kinda tired. All right, we'll let you sleep on it. Come on, Ben, let's book him. All right. I'll get your jobs, coppers. Sure. Come on. We took Walter Tracy to the county jail and had him booked on suspicion of burglary. He was still sullen. We knew we had the guilty man. Now we had to prove it. As it often happens, the victims never see the burglar. They only know he's been there. They can't identify him, but they can identify their property. Our job was to find the property. When we did, we'd have Walter Tracy. And the 19 victims would have their property returned. But Tracy wasn't talking. We knew he'd never talk unless he thought it might help him. We took the problem to Ed Backstrand. Smart punk, Skipper, but he's done time before. How do you know? Tried him out last night when we brought him in. He talks like it and he acts like it. But he won't cop out. Are you sure? He won't talk in a hundred years. He knows he's got us in the spot. Well, one thing's sure. We're not going to send him up without finding the loot first. He's planted the stuff somewhere in this city. We've got to find it. Ben and I have got an idea, Ed. It's not going to be easy, but it might work. What is it? Tracy tried to soak some of the stolen property at four separate pawn shops in the downtown area. Yeah? 
At each one of those four pawn shops, he gave a local address. Now, we're sure he must have a room or an apartment someplace in town. All right. Well, that's where guesswork comes in, Skipper. Every one of those addresses he gave falls within a certain area. How big an area? Oh, you've got that street diagram, Joe? Yeah. Here it is, Ed. From uh, Figueroa here, San Pedro, and from uh, Pico down to First Street. The area is about 12 blocks wide, 14 blocks long. Mm, that's a lot of territory. How are you going to cover it? On foot. We'll take Tracy with us. Plenty of legwork. You sure it's the answer? We've got to find the stuff, and it's the only way we can figure it. Hotels, apartments, rooming houses. There must be hundreds of places you could stay in that territory. It'll take a couple of weeks. Yeah, on foot it will. All right. It's tough, but it's your idea. Go to it. An hour after we left Chief Backstrand, we got Tracy out of his cell in the county jail and started our canvas of the appointed area. We took the usual precautions and handcuffed Tracy's wrists to our own. We started the search for his hideout at First Street in Figueroa. It was a warm day in Los Angeles. The temperature was 91. After the first three hours, I could tell Ben's feet were ready to give out, and so were mine. We couldn't even have the comfort of complaining. That had encouraged Tracy, and he was cocky enough already. He cursed and You're threatened every step of the way. my legs off. All right, quit pulling, will you? Come on, Tracy, up the stairs. Another one to check. Warm day, Joe. Yeah, a little. What do you mean, a little? Must be 110. Yes? What is it? You the manager? Yes. Could you tell me which apartment this man has in your house, ma'am? Who, him? Yes, ma'am, this one. Never saw him before. He don't live here. All right, ma'am, thank you. Yeah, hot, ain't it? When are you gonna get wise? Come on, Tracy. Well, that finishes this side of the street. You want to cross over, Joe? Yeah, let's go. I'm hungry. I want to eat. After we cover the other side of the street. You can't do this to me. I'm going to get a lawyer out of your jobs, both of you. Yeah, uh-huh. come on. We only got a couple of hundred places to go. Hi, gents. What can I do for you? You the manager? I run the place, yeah. Which room does this man have in your place? Him? You made a mistake. He doesn't live here. All right, thanks. My feet are killing me. Wait till I get a lawyer. I'll burn both of you dumb cops. What do you think you're doing anyway? All that day and the day after that and the day after that, Ben and I, with Tracy handcuffed to our wrist, canvassed the designated areas from hotel to hotel, from rooming house to rooming house, and the apartments, too. Every day, our feet ached a little more, our pace slowed down, Tracy got more irritable, and the weather got hotter. The second day, it reached a high of 92. The third day, 94. The fourth day, 94. Police regulations say plainclothes officers must wear a coat and necktie on the street at all times. We wore our coats and neckties. The search continued into the fifth day. Our pace got even slower. Ben and I started to lose heart. After a while, we forgot our object was to recover the stolen jewels. All we wanted was to find Tracy's hideout. We knew we were right. We knew Tracy was our man. It was a point of pride. Whether your feet hurt or not, you don't give in to a thief. Yes? What do you want? You're the landlady here. I am. Which apartment does this man have in the building? Well, none of them. He's not one of my tenants. Thank you, ma'am. Come on, Tracy. By the sixth day, all three of us had special pads in our shoes. Our feet ached worse than ever. Tracy let us know about his every three minutes. 
By late afternoon of the sixth day, we'd covered more than half of the designated area. The temperature was 95. You guys gonna go on forever? I'm sweating like a horse. I'm getting tired of your moaning. That looks like the manager behind the desk. Yes, sir? You the manager? Yes, sir. What can I do for you? Can you tell us which room this man has in the hotel? Him? Mm-hmm. He doesn't live here. Hey, uh, you fellas look awfully warm. Like to cool off in the lobby? We're air-conditioned. No, thanks. I'm hungry. Why don't we eat? You're always hungry. You got the biggest mouth on a cop I ever saw. Oh, All right. Yeah. I'm hungry. I want to eat. Now. Wait till I give this story to the papers. Mistreating innocent guys. They'll break you. All right. Come on. Up the stairs. I'm going to get a lawyer. Tonight. I'll show you. Yes? Why, Mr. Baker, where have you been? We questioned the landlady, a Miss Elizabeth Hunter. She told us that Baker, alias Tracy, had rented an apartment from her about two months before. That's all the information she could give us. Tracy clammed up. He would admit nothing. We asked Miss Hunter to accompany us as a witness. We took the elevator up to Tracy's apartment on the sixth floor. Miss Hunter, Tracy, Ben, and I. Down this way. Here. Do you want me to open it? Please, Miss Hunter. There's a girl. Walter? What is it, Walter? I told you to get out of town if I didn't come back. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to leave without you. I thought you slept in the park. Uh, take a jump. Where's the stuff hidden? All right, Ben. Handcuff him to a chair. The girl behind him. We'll find the stuff ourselves. All right, Tracy. All right, you're next. I haven't done anything either. See, you can't prove it. Billy, shut up. That's better. No talking between you two. If there is, we'll separate you. All right, Ben, you take the living room here. I'll try the kitchen and get a window open. It's hot in here. All right. Sergeant, you will be careful of the furniture. Yes, ma'am. I had no idea. You, Mr. Baker, of all people. Don't talk to him, please, ma'am. Oh, yes. <gasps> Tin cop. Why don't you spell? Ben, look. It's only the beginning. He's got the stuff scattered seven ways for Sunday. We're going to need help. In the milk bottle? Yeah, two rings, three loose diamonds, and this bottle of mayonnaise. We found some kind of a brooch in it. A couple of watches taped to the underside of the kitchen sink. All right, you. Convinced? Okay, Ben. Call Backstrand. There was a definite possibility that Walter Baker, alias Tracy, had stored some of his stolen loot outside his apartment. We stood little chance of ever recovering it unless we got him to break Ben called Chief Backstrand, and in ten minutes he arrived at the apartment with another man from burglary detail, George Levine. Together we went over the four-room apartment foot by foot. We found jewelry, watches, loose stones in every conceivable place. In cartons of cottage cheese, in jars of cold cream, in the garbage can, everywhere. Who's your girlfriend? All right, I'll ask her. What's your name? I said, what is your name? Billy. Billy Crawford, he didn't do anything. He didn't. All right, Billy. Maybe you can tell us. Where's the rest of the stuff he stole? He didn't steal. He didn't steal anything. Billy, shut up. Keep quiet, you. Ed, wait a minute. What? Just a minute. I want to look over here. Papers. Taped to the underside of that top drawer. What is it, Friday? No, no, you can't. You can't. Look at these. All right. You found them. I'll talk. No, Walter, don't. Parole papers. He's an ex-con. Yeah, I'll cop out. Don't do it, Walter. Billy, shut up. 
dumb dame. The rest of the stuff, where is it? On the roof. Inside the ventilator, the one near the front, you'll find a couple of paper bags. That's it. Levine? Got it, Chief. I'll check it. Your papers say you did time in Oregon. What for? Fell for robbery. Did five. I own seven. What about the girl? Walter, I'm going with you. Her? I don't know. You figure it. All right, Friday. Romero, take the girl to Lincoln Heights and book her. We'll take him. Right, Ed. Come on, Ben. No. No, Walter, I want to go with you. I'm sorry, ma'am. This way out. All right, easy, lady. Oh, no, wait a minute. Just a minute. Walter? You're a dumb dame, Billy. So long. Walter. All right, come on, let's go. What's the matter? You feel all right? He lied. He said he loved me. He lied to me. Don't feel hurt, lady. He lied to everybody. The story you have just heard is true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. Walter Baker, alias Walter Tracy, was tried and convicted on three counts of first-degree burglary and received the maximum sentence prescribed by law. He is now serving out his term in the state penitentiary. A hold has been placed on him by the state of Oregon, where he will serve out seven years for violation of parole. Billy Crawford, Baker's accomplice, was tried and convicted of receiving stolen property and is now serving time in the state penitentiary for women. You have just heard the 11th in a new series of authentic cases transcribed from official police files. Technical advice for Dragnet is furnished by the Los Angeles Police Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Warden Clarence A. Larkin of Folsom Prison, Sacramento, who, on the evening of September 24, 1937, gave his life so that yours might be more secure. Dragnet came to you from Los Angeles. If you enjoyed tonight's production of Dragnet, you'll want to listen this Saturday evening to a pair of adventure shows featuring two well-known Hollywood personalities. You'll enjoy Brian Donlevy, star of Dangerous Assignment. Also on Saturday's schedule is Richard Diamond, private detective, as played by the screen's romantic tough guy, Dick Powell. Listen to both of these exciting programs this Saturday over most of these same NBC stations. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for Lights Out next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Lights Out and a show that was first aired in 1943. Ironized Yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. It is later than Lights Out brings you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. This is Arch Oval. 
One of the bleakest places outside of Hitler's heart, they say, is the island of Iran just off the coast of Ireland. The wind wails and the waves fight the bleak cliffs. And death is as close as the sea. And now, lights out. Everybody. I... I, I know... It's dying I am, Father Donahue. And old as I am, I'm not ready to die. And you. Ah, come closer, Father, and hear my miserable confession. You know me as a good woman of the village. Yet uh, I've heard what you say. There's no finer old woman in all the islands than the widow than Ah, but that's not so, Father Donahue. And if I'm to meet all my old friends in the island of paradise, then hear me out and pray for me. You know, my sons, Thomas and Patty, born on the same cold winter's night they were, and the firstborn, Thomas, was as good as an angel in paradise. But the second, the one I named Paddy, was evil from the moment he took his first breath of God's good air. It was Thomas that carried the load of the family on his back, fishing from early to late. But Paddy, ah, oh, that's right, Drinking and brawling and running from work as if the devil himself was pulling him away. I pray to the good God every night that some goodness come into the man's heart. But with every year he grew worse, stealing what his crooked tongue couldn't talk away from honest men. Ah, but his brother Thomas, he repaid me for all the trouble. A good boy. And when he came to me with the word that he was to marry Eileen, the heart in me sang, for the good God always meant for the two of them to be together. Ah, how I remember the day of the wedding, the sun shining, and the sky and the sea smooth as a baby's cheek. I was a happy, little known of the horror of what was to come. Ah, it was a happy morning. God. Oh, listen to the mother. Did you ever hear a happier sound in all creation? Why shouldn't they be happy, Thomas? It's not every day that such a blessed marriage comes in the islands. Ah, the prettiest girl in all the blaskets waiting to be your bride as soon as the sun starts setting. My bride. Uh, oh, mother, that's a grand word. I'm happy for you, my son. I wonder where Patty can be. Patty. Yes, he isn't around. Do you know where he is? Oh, that's right. It'll be a better wedding without him. Oh, now, mother, don't say things like that. After all, he's your son and my brother. Oh, you're a sorrow in my heart as he's drinking and brawling. Paddy, you did come. Speak of the difference. And why shouldn't I be here? There's an honest stranger said a welcome at your wedding. Oh, now, Paddy, that's not the way to talk. There's food and drink and... No, wait a minute. I've got more important things to do than to be filling me belly. Listen to me, Brother Thomas. Is your head that full of weddings that it can't hear the chance of making us all richer than a Yankee? What do you mean? Yes, speak up, Paddy. What devilment are you up to now? Devilment nothing. It's honest money I'm, I'm talking about. And may the next pipes and tobacco be at me on wake if I'm not telling you the truth. I'm listening, Paddy. Let's hear what you have to say. Do you remember the hulk of a ship that was wrecked off in East Nabra a bit ago? Well? Well, I went there yesterday to see if there was anything worth having. Oh, 
listen to me, brother. In the bottom of a pool no deeper than this room is lying enough bolts of copper and brass to make you and me the richest men on the island. What? Ah, you can believe your ears. Wouldn't you rather bring the bride a pocketbook filled with gold sovereigns and the empty leather you've got now? But, Paddy, I... Ah, I wish you, Mother, you'll talk to the man. But if it's in the sea, it'll wait until after the wedding. Ah, wait, will it? And with those Inish boats sailing out around the place, I tell you, it's now or never. And may my soul to the devil if I'm not saying true words. Thomas, it would be nice to have a bit of money in the house. Yes. Then what are you waiting for? You've got a boat big enough to handle the stuff, and I'll be there to help you. And in three hours, you can be back here dancing. Oh, it's Irene. Let her have the word whether you stay or go. Stay or go where, Mother Dinell? What's going on, Thomas? Well, uh, you see, Eileen... Ah, you're the day short. Let me say it. Eileen, there's a fortune in brass and copper bolts waiting for us in water no deeper than a man's neck over off in East Nabro. And Tommy here thinks you'd be fool enough to say no to his going. But... But must he go now? The sea doesn't wait. He'd be back in three hours, Eileen. Yeah, I just think, Eileen, you'd have a dress for every day of the week. Thomas, do you want to go? We could build a new house with the money. Mother Donnell, do you think Thomas should go now? I mean, with all them, aren't they? Well, we're so poor, and Thomas, young as he is, so worn and weary from work. Maybe this is God's blessing, a gift from heaven for putting our faith in him who watches over all of us. God's blessing is right. A hundred pounds... And we'll be the kings of the island. Come on now. We can take the side path down to... Cl- Wait, brother. Eileen, is it your wish? I'd be a poor wife to you, Thomas. If I stood in your way of making a living before our marriage. My darling. Ah, there'll be time enough for that now when we get back. Come on, Thomas. Let's get out of here. Hurry back to me, my dearest. The sea will take me to our good fortune and the sea will bring me back. Uh, out this way, Thomas. Come on, hurry up. Yeah, I'm coming. I'm to the wedding, darling. God, go with you. Thomas! Yes, yes. I'll be back in three hours, mother. As rich as a Yankee. Bye. Oh, Eileen. Oh, little baby. Why should you cry? Thomas is proud to see so many times. Why should you cry this time? Mother Danelle, I'm frightened. Frightened? And tell me, why should you be frightened? I don't know, but when that door closed behind him, it seemed as if the waters of the sea were closing over. Oh, Mother Danelle, oh, me close. Soon, Father Donahue. Eileen and I left the dancing and the fiddling behind and climbed the long path up to the top of the cliff so our eyes could see far out over the water. And all the time, Eileen kept crying that she'd never see Thomas again. That she'd never see Thomas again. Oh, oh, oh stop crying and saying the things you're saying, girl. It's tempting the devil to do with evil work. Oh, I haven't climbed this path for a many a day. It's a little too steep for me, old bones. Thomas, where are you? Oh, now stop that, girl. And Thomas has found so much copper and brass. It's taken him longer than he thought. Oh, Thomas wouldn't come back like he would. No, well, Paddy would if there was a shilling extra to be made. And he's talked Thomas into it with that sharp tongue of his. Oh, oh the last tip. I know we'll see them. They're both weighed down with good fortune. Eileen, Eileen, stay away from the edge. You'll go over the cliff. Oh, Mother Danelle, to the west. Right? To the west where they went. The water. Oh, that wind. Where did it come from? Out of the west where he was. But, but in all my years, such a wind has never been before. The Look at it swirling and tossing before the wind. It's dead. No. My darling's dead. No, no. Stop saying that. He's not dead, my Thomas. Eileen. Eileen, come back here. Come back from the end.
Ah, oh, that was a time, Father Donahue. The wind grew wilder and wilder. In a minute, the sea was pounding at the base of the cliff. And the girl shrieking she wanted to die with Tom. And me fighting her back from the edge and praying to the good God to give me all the arms, the strength to hold her back until she came to her senses. Ah, uh, none of us got a wink of sleep till the light of morning. Ah, oh, that wind. I can hear it now. Snarling and talking with you. Will you a boat, a boat, your son oh, to the west. Why, my son? Aye, aye, come on. Dead? No, no, the boat's coming and there's living hands on the oars. Come on. Oh, there's a scarred my knees. I thank you for their mercy. Father Danelle, I heard someone say. Oh, Father Danelle. Oh, I lean the merciful God has brought them back. Oh. Come on, quick. They're trying to get into land. Hurry now. Oh, Mother Danelle, quickly. No. No way, oh. child. Your shawl. Your shawl there. Now give oh. me your arm. Oh, my own legs tremble so I can hardly walk. Yes, yes, lean on me. Oh. Yes, yes, I'm moving fast as I can. It's hard. It's hard against its wind. wind. Let him live. You bless it for the life of one. And I bless it for the life of two. Good neighbors. Good neighbors, let us through. My son. Let us through. Oh, I can see nothing. The waves and the dark. Honey, do you see? Yes. Yes, Mother Dinette. I see them. I see them. Where? Point it out to me, girl. Where? Oh, over there. Follow my finger. Oh, oh Mary, they're yes. coming back. Yes, I see the boat. Oh, blessed boat. I see it. Praise God. I see it. One. There's only one. No. Oh, no, what are you saying? Thomas. Teddy. Mother Kate, come back. The waves. Uh, the girl's right. There's only one in the boat. Where? Uh, oh, dear. Oh, yes, yes, forgive me. Come, I'll help you. Father, good lining, good girl. Oh, which one? Which one? Thomas, I know it, Thomas, I know it. Yes, Thomas, the good Thomas, he lives. Stand aside, everybody. Let the widow and the girl through now. Let them through. Come on, let them through. My son, my son, which one? Well, well, I'm back, Mother. Are you, are you pleased to see me? Harry. Stand back. You, Harry. Yes. Yes, me. Can't I get a right to live? Tell me. Tell me quick. Where, where is my son? Where's Thomas? Tell me, Penny. Where is my Thomas? Where do you think he is, old woman? Dead at the bottom of the sea. Ladies and gentlemen, a deep breath would certainly be welcome to me and to you at this moment in our story of the sea. And in this intermission, before we go back to further developments in tonight's exciting lights out story, we have a young man here who seems to have a problem. I'll say I've got a problem. I can't get started any place. The Army tells me to come back when I built myself up. War plans tell me to come back when I put on some weight. I can't eat, I can't sleep. I'm jittery and tired out all the time. I've got me legs. Come now, my friend. Don't give up so easily. Maybe all you need is more vitamin B and iron. You see, when you don't get enough vitamin B out of your food, you may lose your appetite, not eat all you need, or you may not get all the good out of what you do eat. Then, naturally, you lose weight, lose your pep and energy. And when you don't get enough iron from your food, you may be weak and pale, 
feel only half alive. Oh, but if I need more vitamin B and iron, well, how can I get them? Try ironized yeast tablets. They're the famous two-way tonic that gives you both vitamin B and iron. Start taking pleasant little ironized yeast tablets tonight if more vitamin B and iron is what you need. Then see if pretty quick you aren't saying... Boy, oh boy, do I look husky with the swell pounds I've put on. And I feel swell, too. Hmm. War job, here I come. And I'm sure glad I tried those ironized yeast tablets. And now back to Lights Out and the old woman's confession to the priest. I, Father Donahue, that was what he told me. My good Thomas was dead at the bottom of the sea. Dead. Good Thomas dead and Paddy, Paddy the evil from the life. Ah, oh, it wasn't right, Father. And in the days and nights that followed, I cried to God, Why did you do it? Why? Why did the sea take my dear Thomas from the boat and leave Paddy? Was there no reward on earth for goodness and sweetness of soul? And in the seventh night of my sorrow, there came an answer. I was lying on my bed. Outside the sea was singing and whispering. My window was open and I could hear the sea talking as I lay there crying. Crying for the Do not cry, mother. <sighs> mother. I heard a voice. You heard me, brother. Thomas's voice. Oh, no. No, it's some wildness in my weary head. Mother, I am so weary. You must listen. Oh, dear Scott. Why do you do this to me? My son is dead. Why do you bring me the memory of his voice? Mother, believe me. If I could only see you, I would believe. Oh, no. The horror the sea made of me. Wind and wave and grinding rock against my flesh. Oh, I wouldn't care, my son. Just let me see that it is you and not my own voice speaking in the head. Oh, Mother, you don't know what you ask. But if there is no other way, close your eyes until I give you a word to open them. I've closed them. Now, now open, Mother, and have no fear. I beg you. Oh. This was oh. Thomas. Oh, no. Mother, why did he murder me? Murder? The sea was calm. We reached the pool where he set the copper and the brass lid. I stripped off my clothes and dove under. Oh. And when I tried to come up for another breath of air, oh, Mother, he wouldn't let me do it. Oh, no. With his hand, he held me under. My hands, they tore at his arm. But he held me down. Down until at last I screamed oh. for mercy. And the water filled my mouth. Oh. My lungs and Killed me. Oh. My own brother killed me. And that is why I tore myself out of the sea. 
I want to know why he did it. <gasps> why? I cannot rest in peace until I know and understand. You tell me. Oh, speak, mother. What gain could come to him for such a horror? Oh, I, I do not know. Oh, believe me, my son. I do not know. Then I must go back. I cannot stand this. Pain. Oh, my good Thomas. Look at this. What was Thomas Donnell's face, mother? Look at it and give me your oath. You will not tell my Eileen or my brother this night. Oh, but I... Your oath, mother. They must not know. You hear me? They must not know. I swear, Tommy. Oh, merciful one, this pain. I go, mother. Where? Back to the sea. Oh, and, and will we, will we ever meet again, my son? Yes. The day I find out why he made me drown, I will return, mother. I will return. Tommy, my son, come back. Oh, oh my son. My son. He was gone, Father Donahue. Gone back to his nameless grave at sea. Then, then it happened. Perry talked his way into the good graces of the girl. Simple little Eileen. What did she know of the evil of me? That devil Paddy and my good Thomas's Eileen. Ah, took their life out of me. And made me long for the quiet in the grave. And then, then came the day of the wedding. Again, the fiddler was playing. Again, the good people of the islands were happy. I alone was sad, weeping. Weeping the twenty. Oh, Mother Donnell, why do you sit here apart from all the rest and weep? I, I'm not weeping, girl. For weeks you've been so sad. Can't you find a little joy in your heart for this day of... My marriage to your own son? My, my son, I do not love him as I did dear Thomas. May he rest in But Thomas himself told Patty that if he died, he wished that Patty had care for him. And, M Mother Donnell, what is it? Your face so strange. Now he knows. I just remembered. Now he knows. Who knows? What are you saying? <laughs> there you are, my little bride to me. <laughs> uh, why waste your wedding day with this old woman? Mother of mine, though she'd be, her face is sour enough to curdle milk. Come on away now. No, no, wait, Patty. Mother Donnell, you must tell me. What is it that makes you stare at Patty with such an awful ah, look? That's the look she's always had. <laughs> oh, look how the sun glints on the sea. Ah, it's a day for a king. And I'm a king marrying the girl I've always wanted. Come kiss me, Eileen. Kiss me so that all shall see me. Kissing the prettiest bride in all Ireland. No, please. Kiss me. Let the sky in the sky. Oh, Mother Donnell. What did you make that sound hey, for, old woman? What's going on around here? No, what are you saying? Who played this? Now then. Speak up, Mother. Why did you shriek like that? The sea. What of the sea? What are you pointing your bony finger at out there? What are you... Look! At the water's edge! Say, what is... Something's coming out of the sea! I... Look! Yes, something's coming out of yes, the sea. that's right. I, I see it now. Oh. It's a seal, oh. that's what it is, a oh. seal. Where's the clever... It's not a seal! Huh? It's a man! Look! Man! Bones! 
Just more. Let's get on here. Eileen, do not look. Do not look. Ah, oh, oh, blessed Mary, she's fainted. She will not see me. What? What? What is it? I, I can't move. I cannot move. No. You cannot move, my brother. You cannot move. That, that, that voice. Bones and little flesh. And yet you know the voice. Thomas, your brother Thomas, come back again, no. because now he knows. No. Now he knows. No. Knows what? Why you murdered me. Your flesh and blood. I heard it from your own lips. I, you wanted my Eileen always. I, That's why you did it. I, 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 your clever tongue can no longer save your brother of mine. I have come a painful way to get you. No, 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 you won't get me dead thing. No, I'll get away. I'll run. I'll run. And so he ran, Father Donahue. He turned and ran up, up the path that led to the top of the cliff. And behind him, slowly sobbing with the pain that tore at his dead bones, climbed my dead Thomas after him. And after Thomas... Dragging my old bones, I went. Ah, for they were my sons, and I had to see that right was done. Up, up, up until at last Paddy stood on the very edge, the sea five hundred feet below, shrieking, yelling, and wailing. He stood there shrieking at that horrible thing, No, no, nothing. Stay back. Stay back. You bones and Bill, stay back. I back. come for no. you, my brother. No, no. I come no. for you. No. <laughs> he fell. He fell. Mother, see, he, he didn't get me. Those rotten bones gave way beneath him. He didn't get me, Mother. He, Mother, what are you going to do? Mother. Mother! Over the cliff Paddy went, turning and twisting, and into the sea where the water covered him over. When the others of the village came up there at last, I told them that the old bones of Thomas had done it. They clutched Paddy close to him and thrust him over. Oh, Father Donahue. It was I, the day that final push, had sent the evil son of mine to his death. Thomas tried and failed before he had his last measure of revenge. So I did it, Father. I, I gave Paddy the now life, and I gave him death. Is there any forgiveness in heaven for what I did? Well, Mr. Obler, 
Again, the dead return? <laughs> well, again, I say I don't know. I'll tell you an amazing story, though, that I know is true. Have you ever heard of Marjorie? Oh, sure. Butter substitute. <laughs> no, no, no. Marjorie's not any rational book. He's one of the most famous spiritualistic mediums at the end of the 19th century. And now, what about Marjorie? Well, during the last 75 years, there have been two psychic mediums who have shared the honor of puzzling psychical researches. D.D. Holm was one, and a lady by the name of Marjorie was the other. Now, Marjorie was the wife of a distinguished surgeon who claimed that she could conjure up the spirit of a dead brother. This brother could ask questions by means of raps, ringing bells, chimes, bugles, write in nine languages, although Marjorie knew only one, move furniture around the room and conjure up roses and live birds and speak in his own voice through Marjorie's vocal cords. Now, in 1924, the magazine, Scientific American, offered a prize of $2,500 to the first person who could conjure up ghostly effects. Marjorie entered the contest. The committee, well, the committee that investigated her, disagreed completely. Three of the gentlemen said yes, and three other gentlemen said no. The London Society for Scientific Research heard about it and entered the picture and investigated Marjorie and again. All sorts of dissension. Now, in spite of many further scientific investigations and work of many individual researchmen, no one seems to know whether or not Marjorie actually was psychic. There's no question that the facts show that the lady certainly proved some amazing demonstrations of, well, of what were apparently voices and figures and fingerprints and other manifestations of the dead. Well, are we to have some more ghosts next week, Mr. Obler? <laughs> no, not ghosts. It's a play about Paris before the new disorder. The story about two college men on the loose in Paris. But, as usual, that's next week. Yes, Lights Out will come to you again next Tuesday at this same time. Be sure to listen to Arch Obler's amazing story, The Ball. And if you need more vitamin B and iron, be sure to try Ironized Yeast, the one and only Ironized Yeast, with the big letters IY on the package and on each tablet. It is later than you think. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Bickersons, followed by Philip Marlowe. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.